Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 144, Checking Up on iPad. Hi, I'm Neil. In a few days, I will be flying out to California to attend Apple's upcoming Showtime event at Steve Jobs Theater. This is when Apple's going to unveil its revamped content distribution strategy. So this event is going to be pretty different than the usual Apple event. I'll have more to say about the event at the end of the episode. But this week, Apple surprised quite a few people by releasing hardware updates. We didn't just get one. We didn't get two. We got three updates, and it was spread out throughout the week, or at least Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It all started with some iPad updates, a new updated iPad mini, a new iPad Air. We had some iMac updates, and then Apple unveiled its first update to wireless AirPods and a new wireless charging case. In today's episode, we are going to focus on the iPad updates. And we're not going to look at the products in terms of reviewing them. And I don't think we're even going to necessarily focus on talking about, well, where do these new iPads fit within the product line? Instead, I want to take a step back and look at all of the transformational change that has occurred with the iPad over the past two years. These updates announced this week are just the latest chapter. And I think there is a story to tell here as to what Apple has been doing with the iPad line. We'll kick off today's update by talking a little bit about the updates, and then we'll take a broader look at the iPad business. Now, one thing I did want to point out is in episode 120, an iPhone turning point, I went back and listened to that episode. I also reread the article that was associated with that episode. I think that provides some great context for this episode. Episode 120 is where we really spent a lot of time talking about the backstory to the iPad mini. So I'm not going to necessarily go over that full story in this episode, but I did think it's worth mentioning for those who haven't listened to that episode, I'll include a link to episode 120 in the show notes. The first update that we'll talk about is the iPad mini. And I think the most noteworthy change to the iPad mini was that it received an update in the first place. The last time the iPad mini received an update was in September 2015. That's a pretty long time. Over the subsequent three years, iPad mini sales have steadily declined and now represent a pretty small fraction of overall iPad sales. Apple does not disclose iPad sales by model. However, there's a couple of ways in which we can back into pretty fair estimates. One way, and this was primarily what I did in the past, was you can look at adoption trends, which models are being used. Another method was to look at iPad average selling price, ASP. So if average selling price is increasing and Apple is updating higher priced iPads, well, that's going to give you a pretty good overview of where sales are found. One takeaway to keep in mind when thinking about iPad mini sales is that this is a product that always had a surge in sales around the holidays. We had a low-priced iPad that just really made for a great gift, either for kids, parents, grandparents. And so when I was modeling iPad sales by model, you would see a pretty noticeable jump in iPad mini sales 
that last quarter in the calendar year, and then sales would fall off again as you started the new calendar year. More recently, iPad mini sales really just fell off a cliff. And that's not too surprising given the lack of updates. And this is where the debate is found over, did the iPad mini suffer sales weakness because Apple didn't update the model? Or did Apple not update the model because sales were getting weaker, demand was getting weaker? I tend to think it was because demand was getting weaker. And one reason I would say that is when you're looking at iPad mini sales by quarter going all the way back to launch, you did notice that the momentum with the model was starting to disappear, even as Apple continued to update the model. This wasn't to the point where sales were going through the roof. Apple stopped updating it. Sales continued to go through the roof, and then all of a sudden, it kind of went down. I tend to think Apple saw what was happening. The marketplace was moving beyond the iPad mini. As smartphone screen sizes increase, the market for a tablet with a 7.9-inch screen shrunk. And this is one reason why I published a couple years ago, this is back in 2015, doesn't seem like it was three years ago, but I published an article titled Peak iPad Mini. At the time, I didn't necessarily receive a lot of pushback at the article, but at the same time, I don't think I was late with the call. It was a call that I think was still debatable for a lot of people. And the premise behind Peak iPad Mini was that sales for the iPad mini will never surpass the record level put in years ago. I went back and looked at what iPad mini sales were at the peak. Again, this is my estimate. This isn't from Apple. It's about 35 million units. That was the sales run rate. Apple is currently selling around 44 million iPads per year. So that means that four out of every five iPads that Apple sells would have to be an iPad mini for Apple to get back to peak iPad mini sales. Spoiler, that's not going to happen. And when you take into account how small of a percentage the iPad mini is in terms of overall iPad sales, Apple would have to sell so many iPads. I don't see it. And that is why I published peak iPad mini. The other implication here is that the iPad mini's long-term value proposition was cut. It was reduced permanently. By what? The iPhone. This focus on long-term value prop is one reason why I'm very careful to throw around the peak label. You don't see me saying peak this, peak that too often. It's because Even if sales for a particular product category or even a particular model decline, and maybe even materially over time, that doesn't necessarily mean that the product in question has a permanently reduced value prop. Given my peak iPad mini stance, was I shocked to see an update to the iPad mini? I had someone reach out to me say, I thought you said the iPad mini was going to die, that Apple was going to discontinue the model over time. No, I didn't say that. And an update doesn't really 
surprise me. Instead, my view had always been that if there was enough demand for a 7.9-inch iPad, Apple would push out an update. In my view, that's a few million units per year. Tops. I think that's enough to warrant an update. When it comes to the actual change found in this new iPad mini, we have the A12 chip that's replacing the A8 chip. We have an improved display. And the iPad mini now has Apple Pencil support, the first generation Apple Pencil. So those are the major changes. Apple also maintained the $399 price for iPad mini while cutting entry-level storage in half. The other change Apple made, which I think is actually pretty noteworthy, is they removed the numbers. It's not iPad mini 5. Instead, it's just simply iPad mini. I think that's going to clear up a lot going forward. The numbers work to a certain degree. iPad mini 3, 4, 5, but after a while, it gets to be a little bit too much. And again, I think it also depends on how often you update the model. For something like an iPhone, if you're updating it every year, I think calling it by something other than just iPhone makes sense. With this new iPad mini, my interpretation of it is we're not going to get updates every single year. We're not going to get frequent updates. Along with the new iPad mini, Apple announced an updated iPad Air. And this one's a little bit confusing at first. Apple positioned the new 10.5-inch iPad Air as a successor to the 9.7-inch iPad Air 2. That model was discontinued back in early 2017. In my view, the new iPad Air is more like the successor to the 10.5-inch iPad Pro. And Apple ended up removing components in order to lower the price. The new iPad Air retails for $499. The 10.5-inch iPad Pro went for $649. So that's a substantial decline. What did Apple remove? Well, the camera is not as good. The quad speakers have been removed. Promotion's gone. There's less RAM. 4K video recording is gone. So for some people, that's a substantial change. The addition here is the A12 Bionic chip. At this point, I think there's value in looking at how the iPad business is doing, because that's going to help us put a little bit more context around those new iPads. And it's going to show us what Apple's likely trying to do here. When looking at the broader iPad category, there have been three distinct sales phases over the years. These are my terms. I think the first phase was rocket launch. Second phase was implosion. And the third phase, which we are currently in, is stabilization. When you look at the rocket launch, the iPad was Apple's best-selling product out of the gate. 22 million units sold in the first 12 months. It is going to be difficult for another Apple product to come close to achieving that early sales success. While there were likely a number of factors that came together to produce a perfect storm for record iPad sales, I think there were two that really stood out. The first was fascination 
with iOS on a large screen. The iPhone had a 3.5-inch screen when the iPad launched. The other item is that the iPhone install base at that time was much smaller than it is today. You had a lot of feature phone users, BlackBerry users, who were interested in iOS and on a large screen. So they may not have even had an iPhone, but they were intrigued by the iPad. I think the other factor here was there was a thriving iOS app ecosystem. That added plenty of fuel for the iPad rocket. The next sales phase was implosion. iPad sales peaked at the end of 2013 at 74 million unit sales on a trailing 12-month basis. That just simply takes a look at how many iPads did Apple sell over the previous 12 months. Three years later, the iPad sales run rate stood at 41 million units. That's a 46% decline. That's substantial. And I don't think I'm exaggerating by calling it implosion. Three factors are behind the dramatic decline in iPad sales. One, less demand for iPad mini. Two, a longer upgrade cycle. People were simply just holding onto their iPads for longer. And three, the broader iPad category was being cannibalized by more capable and larger iPhones. We are now in the stabilization phase. The iPad business has been trending at a 44 million annual unit sales run rate for the past two years. What this tells us is that the combination of sales to new users and sales to existing users is roughly flat year over year. Apple's decision to bifurcate the iPad line with more capable and powerful models at the high end and increasingly lower price models at the low end has played a major role in stabilizing sales. It also hasn't hurt that the sales headwind associated with declining iPad mini demand has ended. Back in February 2018, I published a weekly article titled The iPhone's Turning Point. I'll include a link to it in the show notes. And in Exhibit 2, I think it's a fascinating chart that compares sales for the 7.9-inch iPad mini to sales of the larger iPads. And what you'll find is that sales of the larger iPads are essentially flat from 2013 to 2018. Yes, there were some ups and downs, but it was the decline in iPad mini sales that kept the iPad sales implosion going year after year after year. This takes us to today. The iPad line currently consists of five models and a few dozen different SKUs when considering all the different storage options and case colors. Beginning with the smallest screen, we have the iPad mini, 7.9-inch screen. The iPad, 9.7-inch screen. This is the model that's primarily targeted to education, although it's being bought by a lot of people. The iPad Air, this is the one Apple just announced, the 10.5-inch. And then the iPad Pro, there are two models, 11-inch and 12.9-inch. It may be easy to look at those preceding models, all five, and conclude that Apple is aiming to copy the Mac line because we have a few Pro models at the top, like MacBook Pro, 
iMac Pro. And we have a few lower price models branded as Air and Mini, just like the Mac. Some may even think Apple is trying to recreate that 2 by 2 matrix for the Mac from the late 1990s, in which Apple sold four Macs. You had two portables, two desktops, targeting the consumer and professional markets. However, there is one critical error in the preceding assumption. Touch-based computing has blurred the line between consumer and professional devices. Each iPad model is used by a wide range of users. Let's look at the iPad mini. In addition to being a content consumption device, the iPad mini is also utilized in various enterprise settings. Look at the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. When you combine that with the Apple Pencil, it's used for a wide range of content creation tasks. At the same time, I use it to web browse. I may use it for content consumption. I may use it to write down some notes. I could do the same on an iPad mini, given the new update with Apple Pencil support. There isn't one device that ultimately targets just a consumer or just enterprise. Instead, I think Apple's iPad strategy is following more of a hybrid approach. It's taking elements of both the Mac and iPhone lines. Look at nomenclature. There's no question that Apple is borrowing from the Mac. The MacBook Air is the best-selling and most popular Mac. The popularity is one reason why Apple decided to stick with the Air branding following last year's update. You would have people coming into an Apple store saying, I want a new MacBook Air. They didn't even really know what it was. They didn't know what components were found in that model, what performance was found in that model versus other Macs. They just knew they wanted a MacBook Air. So Apple kept the name. I think it's fair to look at this new iPad Air and say, well, that's why Apple's giving it its name. At $499, Apple may think that this will become one of the better-selling iPad models. In the past, the iPad Air 2 was a popular model. We could look at the iPad Mini, similar to the Mac Mini. I think the iPad Mini will represent a smaller percentage of overall sales, and it may be geared to handling different enterprise use cases. When you look at the Mac Mini, it was sort of a model that would handle all of these one-off situations. It's also why the updated Mac Mini from last year was so popular. You had a lot of people who really liked that model. There really weren't any good substitutes. And the update was pretty substantial. In some way, I think this new iPad Mini is similar to that. The strategy found with taking the 10.5-inch iPad Pro form factor and removing components and technology to lower the price and arrive at the 10.5-inch iPad Air is reminiscent of the iPhone SE strategy. The move to unveil the latest industrial design with the iPad Pro models at the top 
is also something seen with the iPhone. Borrowing from both the Mac and iPhone playbooks makes sense when you consider the iPad has a user base that measures in between that of Mac and iPhone. At the end of 2018, the iPhone user base stood at 910 million people. That is my estimate, although Apple recently disclosed that the number had surpassed 900 million. The iPad user base is 290 million. And when you consider shared settings, the number is higher, by the way. The Mac user base, 105 million. So the iPad user base is about three times the size of the Mac user base. And the iPhone user base is three times the size of the iPad user base. In recent years, the iPad line has undergone transformational changes. Apple management has not only bet on higher price, larger iPads with the Pro segment, but also doubled down on lower price iPads in an attempt to compete against Chromebooks and even hand-me-down iPhones. After taking those changes in consideration and taking a look at what the iPad line now looks like, I want to go over a few observations. One of the largest complaints facing the iPad line over the years has been the complexity and confusion in terms of the number of models available for purchase. There is evidence of Apple doing a few things to add clarity to that dynamic. We don't see Apple keeping older models in the lineup at lower prices. Instead, management has moved to having a few new iPad models at prices ranging from $329 to $999. Now, of course, if you go outside the U.S., prices will be different. In addition, what Apple's done is worked on reducing the price gaps between iPad models. So there used to be a $250 price gap that existed between the 10.5-inch iPad Pro and the iPad Mini 4. That price gap has been reduced to $100 between the new iPad Air and the iPad Mini. I actually think that helps with the buying decision in terms of consumers. There is no question that some customers use price to select the best iPad. Accordingly, the $329 iPad, the $499 iPad Air will likely be strong sellers. In order for Apple to reach these lower prices, the company had to make some difficult product marketing decisions in terms of components, industrial design, and subsequently Apple Pencil support. We have the non-Pro models work with Apple Pencil version 1, while the Pro models are designed to work with Apple Pencil version 2. Another characteristic or variable that may guide a customer's buying decision with iPad is screen size. And very similar to price, Apple has done a good job of covering the screen range from 7.9 inches to 12.9 inches. When you have a user base that nearly exceeds 300 million people, it's not enough just to have two models, a large iPad or a small iPad. 
a high-priced iPad or a low-priced iPad. It makes much more sense to diversify the iPad line. Offer different price ranges. Work to reduce the gaps between models. Offer different screen sizes. Work to reduce the gaps in screen size. Does that produce a more complicated or confusing product line? I don't think so. Instead, consumers can pick which model makes the most sense for them. Speaking of screen size and price, another observation I had with the iPad line is that Apple continues to position the larger 9.7-inch iPad instead of the new, smaller iPad mini as the entry-level option. That is the lowest price way into the iPad. Why? Why is Apple doing that? Larger iPads have become vastly more popular than the iPad mini. And so Apple did not want to sacrifice that popularity just to have screen size correlate directly to price. Just to say, oh, the smallest iPad has the lowest price and the largest iPad has the highest price. This is a strategy that Apple began to push two years ago where they used the 9.7-inch model and basically said, this is going to be our entry-level option. We are doubling down on a larger screen. And it helped sales. It also helped in terms of education. That 9.7-inch iPad that goes for $329, there is special pricing available for education in which it's $299. And Unfortunately, in many educational settings, even $299 seems to be a little bit too expensive for hardware. But the point is, Apple wanted a larger iPad. It's good for keyboards in some schools at a very competitive price when compared to Chromebooks and other Windows laptops. Now, this iPad line isn't perfect. I think an argument can be made that the price gap between the iPad Air and the entry-level iPad Pro, $499 versus $799, that gap is pretty large. For some, when you look at the components, it's justified. For others, maybe they will struggle finding justification. So accordingly, some people may look at the iPad Pro models and say, mm, they're a little bit too premium price for what you get. In my view, it really depends on where you're coming from. If you are focused on content creation, the version 2 Apple Pencil, you're probably going to want that versus the version 1. I also think Face ID, it adds a different dynamic to iPad. Other people may say, well, maybe the iPad Pro models should have a little bit more differentiation in terms of software. I would say I'm a bit more conservative in that stance. Another argument can be made that even though the iPad mini was updated, from a unit sales perspective, the best days are clearly behind it. The thing is with those arguments, even if there's truth to them, and I do think the iPad mini argument, I do think the best days are behind it in terms of unit sales. The thing is from a hardware perspective, it's very difficult 
to argue we aren't looking at the strongest iPad line to date. And one thing I've talked about in the past in terms of iPhone is one way of judging success is to take this year's flagship iPhone and compare it to last year's flagship. In some ways, that is its toughest competitor. If the experience is being pushed forward year after year, if someone uses both iPhones, the latest flagship and the flagship from last year, and they prefer that latest flagship, they don't want to go back to last year's model. If that's the case, it's fair to say that the iPhone business is succeeding. Apple is doing what it has to do. We can take that same exercise and apply it to the iPad. And I do think if you look at these latest iPad models, compare them to the previous year's versions, people are going to want to use these latest iPads. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to go out and buy these latest iPads. The iPad upgrade cycle is long. It could even get a little bit longer. That's not going to change. However, from a hardware perspective, Apple is continuing to push forward. This takes us to software. What I would say is the missing link. Because our discussion today has been mostly about hardware. And anyone who has used an iPad will agree it's the software that can really turn these devices into something. All of the signs point to Apple getting the iPad line ready for new software features. And I think those new software features will be unveiled at this year's WWDC. Now, there's going to be a debate as to where Apple should bring iPad software going forward. There's been a debate for years on this. Some people think Apple should really look at the Mac for inspiration. Other people think Apple should look at the iPhone for inspiration. I tend to think the iPhone offers better inspiration. Go for the product that has a user base of more than 900 million people, not 100 million. But when we think about the timeline, at the end of 2018, we had major hardware updates in terms of the new Pro models. This week, we had additional updates to the rest of the iPad line. This week's hardware updates capped off the first act of Apple's two-act iPad show. If we're in intermission right now, I think the second act will be found at WWDC. That's going to do it for today's episode. As mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Apple's Showtime event is right around the corner. I will be attending the event. Yesterday, I published my event preview. This contained all of my thoughts and expectations ahead of Apple's event. This preview was sent to above Avalon members. It was a 2,700-word email in which really I go over everything that's on my mind. Why expectations seem incredibly high ahead of this event. The big picture regarding Apple and content. Apple Video, Apple News, some wild cards. And a summary. What do I think Apple's going to do on Monday? You see, some people say they're going to announce a pivot into services. 
eh, I don't buy that. <laughs> I think you're seeing Apple do something different here. After the event, I will then publish my event review. This will cover all of my thoughts from the event, major takeaways, my full notes, what did I like, what did I not like, what may work in this marketplace, what may not work. My event review will be found most likely in two daily updates, and those are available exclusively to Above Avala members. So if you are an Above Avala member, the event preview has already been sent out, so it should be in your inbox, and keep an eye out for the event review in your inbox. If you're not an Above Avalon member and you would like to receive my analysis and all of my perspective and observations from Apple's Showtime event, all you have to do is become a member. And then you can access the archive and you'll have the event review sent directly to you when it's published. If you've been thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, maybe you've been on the fence, what I've heard from other members is that Apple product events represent a pretty good time to jump on in. To become a member, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. Membership is either $20 per month or $200 per year. As a member, you receive various privileges and benefits. The cornerstone of Above Avalon membership is access to my exclusive daily updates about Apple. Each update is about 2,000 words and covers everything from Apple business and strategy analysis, Apple financial analysis, including earnings, estimates, and my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, and keynotes and events. Above Avalon members also have access to my exclusive reports about Apple. Each report is about four to 5,000 words and is focused on one topic pertaining to Apple. Along with listing the other privileges and benefits, the membership page also includes answers to the most common questions that I receive about membership. So I did want to point that out. If you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, and you want more of it throughout the week, I think you would find a lot of value in becoming an Above Avalon member. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So if you are already an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you are planning or thinking of becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. With that, we're going to conclude today's episode. I'll talk to you all later.